speak There's a wall between us And a river so deep We keep pretending That there's nothing wrong There's a code of silence And it can't go on Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on April the 22nd, 2009. I always suggest that newcomers look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. We can download hundreds of talks I've given in the past where I try to go through the histories of the big power movement that rules the world, basically, and how they got us to where we are today and where it's supposed to go from here. And we truly are. If you've studied the books written by the experts, those at the very top that belong to this big global society, they really are on target and they know where they're going. And they've almost pulled off this particular part of it. They train the public generationally to accept the next part and the next part until it all seems kind of normal as we go through it all in a kind of fugish, entertained state. Also look into alanwattsentinel.eu for transcripts of these talks which you can download, print up, and they're written in the various languages of Europe. For those who like what they're hearing and it makes sense to them, they can help support me by going into cuttingthroughmatrix.com website, buying that for which I have for sale there, and it's different from what you'll generally get handed to you. I try to show you how everything is used, including your language, and all languages really have the same science to use within them. Those who understand our minds, understand how to put terms across to us, how to phrase things. They understand the logic and how we use that language, just like a computer. And we come to the desired conclusions, not by ourselves, but with actually no option but to go there if we simply stick into the language that we're given. We're guaranteed to come to the conclusions that are, that are presented to us. And you can also donate as well by using PayPal or personal check in the U.S. and Canada at cuttingthroughmatrix.com website. You'll find the buttons. Or for those who, and there's lots, there's hundreds and hundreds of discs get passed around to people who don't use computers. They play them in players, CDs. Uh, they can get in touch with me by writing to Alan Watt, site 41, box 4, Esther, which is E S T. A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. And the postal code is P3E4N1. P for Peter, 3E for Elizabeth, 4N for Nora, 1. And hopefully that will keep me ticking over. If not, then I'll be off to do other things. Simple as that, because time is really flying and people are moving out across the world who are in touch with me who really know that anything that was to fight for has almost pretty well been destroyed. Not only that, they can't get cooperation from people to stand up for basic rights, even their own rights. They can't even find people who will be indignant about things unless they're hitting the pocket personally, but then they just bitch to each other. A long time ago, I read different books on the air by some of the earlier people to come forward who were chosen at childhood to be authors. 
I've mentioned in the book Cultural Wars or America's uh, uh, Cultural War, uh, how they say in there that novels are just as important, perhaps more important than non-fictional works. And you often find some of these big players like in the past that we've had, H.G. Wells, other ones, the Huxleys, were presented with information and your job was to, to write stories around that information for predictive programming purposes because you're persuaded through fiction, which is coupled with emotion. And movies, in fact, are very good, rather than non-fiction. It works very well. That's why the culture industry guides us into a predicted future. Back with more after these messages. This is Cutting Through the Matrix, discussing how reality is given to the people. You'll find the big foundations that I talked about were already on the go under different names. Carol Quigley talks about this in Tragedy and Hope, that even up until World War II, many of the top politicians in Britain didn't know the real names of a society that had already been running their system as a parallel government since the 1800s. It blossomed into the Royal Institute for International Affairs in the Council on Foreign Relations. It also has an, another arm, as many arms, in fact, one of them is the Trilateral Commission. They also set up the Institute for Pacific Relations and the Institute for Pacific Studies, which were really just another CFR part to amalgamate the Far East. And they started that up before World War II. It was the same boys who have taken credit for drafting up the concept for an amalgamated United Europe. And they came out on television in Canada with an ex-assistant prime minister as their spokesman saying that they drafted up the same one for the Americas and that we should go into it feet first. But as I say, it goes way back into the 1800s and to a very select society goes much, much further back, in fact. But uh, within them, they created the society their own financial moguls that became international bankers long before that, because that was one step in taking over a world society and running it the way they thought it should be run, not in an untidy, self-directed way that it had been up until then. And that is exactly what Mr. Rockefeller said, at the Rockefeller Foundation, he said, and it's after one of the big meetings he had too, he said that it was far better that an elite intelligentsia and bankers should rule and guide the world rather than leave it to different countries' individual auto-determinations. In the 1800s, they literally picked, they, they created special schools and picked students who were hunger, hungry for attention, basically, and who were hungry to get up into an upper class like H.G. Wells. They gave them certain training. They told them the whole social agenda that they would participate in and how they would use the power of words and fiction and nonfiction simultaneously. 
to ship more movements that they would again set up to prepare the minds for up-and-coming young people. The whole idea being that democracy, you see, was just a ruse. It would be used for a while by the same group to take power across the world, take over countries under the guise of democracy. In ancient times, remember, Rome plundered through a good part of the world, saying they were bringing civilization to it. That's the type of thing that was used with the British Empire, too. Today, it's globalization and standardization, which was always really the objective. UNESCO, the whole United Nations complex and idea, was born out of this group. It's a front for them, in fact. Remember, the United Nations is not a democratic institution. And yet every law, every law, social and legal, and even building codes, comes from the United Nations and has for most of your life. And it's signed into law by all the countries that have signed on in their treaties to the United Nations. That's why they have to get UNESCO in to give a global standardized indoctrination, which is another term for education. After all, if everyone's going to live in the same Plato's cave, they've got to make it look the same everywhere you go. The idea of global governance is an authoritarian system that Bertrand Russell, Lord Bertrand Russell, who belongs to this group and many others associated with it, because it has many, many branches, specialized branches. He said, we're raising up people to be guided by experts until the average person can't do anything for themselves without the advice of an expert. That was part, a big part, of the agenda. He also termed it, uh, he said, if there's going to be a, a world dictatorship of a kind, he would far rather it be a scientific dictatorship. And that's exactly what's being used on the public across the whole planet. Scientific dictatorships. Where academia and the prostitutes, and there's lots of prostitutes in academia, after all, if you want political correctness and you want to get up the ladder, you've got to really smell which way the wind's going in academia to get all the big grants. And you get professors on board and they become the experts and they get their faces in the papers. And we're taught, trained from birth to believe whatever gobbledygook we're told. Remember, we're never ever told the real reason, the real reason for any major thing. Never, ever. That's a standard a standard for the last few hundred years, never ever told the real reasons for any major thing that happens in your life. The advisor told President Wilson, Mandel House, they call him Colonel, but it was an honorary title he just borrowed, who was a go-between for the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the U.S., and told Wilson what to do said the same thing. He said, there's always, for everything that happens, a very good reason. He says, and then there's a real reason. Well, the real reason is never given to the public. It's very much like Freemasonry and what Albert Pike said about the degrees and initiations and the oaths. He said, it's not necessary that the 
candidates understand the symbols or the terms. It's only necessary that they think they understand the symbols and the terms. That's how the world is truly run. Since everything's happening today with globalization, sustainability, and the war against overpopulation, which again is conjured up and goes back to the days of Malthus, where in the Malthusian economical system, on behalf of the, those who rule, they should only breed up the public as far as the public's usefulness to the system is concerned and cull them down when they don't need so many people. In other words, they've already judged the reason for living, for existing. The only defense, ironically enough, that people had before that was religion itself that gave special rights, unassailable rights, to human life at one point, even though they went round it and they could have their royalty, could have their henchmen and chop their heads off and all that, they had to give some kind of lip service to even the peasant at times. And all that's gone now because they don't need that cover anymore. They're training people across the world in the same system that were just freaks of nature, of countless uh, evolutions, spontaneous evolutions, and that some evolutions are more advanced than others in the human gene pool. And of course, those at the top, they believe, have the right, therefore, to rule us. And, and they've been training us to believe this too. But the only species on the planet where you have to train the victim to acquiesce to his own destruction and demise until you'll beg them to put you out your misery and you'll ask for forgiveness for destroying the planet and breathing the air. George Orwell put that in his book 1984. He said, it's not enough that you, you'll become, you'll come to love Big Brother. You believe it. You really, really believe it. He says, then once you believe it, then we'll kill you. See, that's total power. Conquering to the very end. I've gone through talks before when they said a hundred years ago or more they would use every tactic at their disposal to bring this agenda, this globalization of a planned society, run the way, the proper way, you see, the proper way, the way it should obviously be run by those at the top. Where we just do what we're told, and the peasants do what they're told. And they wrote extensively about the different phases they'd have to go through. They had 50-year plans for one part, 100-year plans for another. Look into the United Nations, you'll still see different ongoing 100-year plans and 50 and 10 and 5-year plans. I've talked about food and how they'd use food as a weapon. And I'll leave some links at the end of my show on my site. And this is by appropriately John Rockefeller. The, the disappearance of food, the next global wild card. This is from, guess what, the futurist. You see, they run the futurist societies where they pick the high-cock authors and say, <clears throat> build a story around this. These are the items that to put in the story. Give them a hero or something so, that, so they can follow it and make it interesting. And a few chases in there and some sex. 
they, they write all your novels, but he also writes the predictions of what they're going to make happen, and they will make it happen because you see five agribusinesses that belong to this society own the world's food supply pretty well today. They own all your governments as well. So, the disappearance of food, the next global wild card by John Rockefeller. The term food security is still an abstraction for many of us living in modern market economies. This is from volume 43, number 3, 2009. It says, in these countries, consumers' food costs have been driven down by efficient centralized production and distribution. Then he goes on to say what's going to happen. And we'll be back with more after this break. I am Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, going through an article written by a Mr. Rockefeller for the Futurist magazine, where, again, they give you predictive programming and they get all the greenies on board with what's to come, always thinking it's for a different reason, etc., and through crisis management, etc. We're living, and you see, in the age of crisis creation and the power of nightmares as they create the nightmares and all these nightmare scenarios. They could possibly hit humanity. They have to have a war and enemies, you see, to control a whole planet. That's what governments have always used in the past. And for the reasons for taxing you and for the reasons of building up massive armies that they'll turn on you, always done through history, and under the guise of protecting you from some other enemy, you see. And now, like King Lear, they're driving back the sea, you know, with his sword and his staff and his scepter, with all kinds of imaginable and unimaginable scenarios that they, they're, they're going to defend us from. All the experts, you see, and they've got a scientist for everything on the payroll who looks into his crystal ball and invents brand new terms, and then it's repeated and repeated and repeated ad nauseum until, like when I said, we learn by the use of slogans, and we just parrot them off, and it becomes a reality to us. If you'd asked a person in the Middle Ages what would happen if you kept walking across the flat earth, they'd say eventually you'd fall off. Because that was what the experts' opinion in those days. And they always give us the proper things to believe, and we do get trained properly to believe properly, and it works. It's science that runs the world. All kinds of sciences. Interdisciplinary sciences. They even have foundations Many foundations, all stemming from the, the, really a handful of the main foundations that fund all of them, they're on all the social systems of the world and economics of the world too, and academia and branches of academia. And they even have foundations that do nothing but make sure that every other branch of science is on board, and as they call it, interdisciplinary sciences. So they have a social political agenda. And then how can you ever have a truthful argument or display to the public on anything if there's already a pre-existing social, political agenda? You can't. So be careful what you allow into your minds. You guard. You are the guardian of your own mind. No one else is. So getting back to this futurist piece of predictability here, 
Because really, it's just a reiteration of the Royal Institute for International Affairs sections, a massive section they have on the coming food shortages. Because, you see, the UN said when it was set up that the Department of Agriculture at the United Nations would eventually rule all the food supplies of the planet and be responsible for dishing out your quota to keep the populations down, you understand. So Ryan goes through the whole pablum that this guy is spouting out. This is just a copy of the RIIA's site because they have a whole section and God knows many hundreds of people just working on that part alone. That part alone. They'll put this link up on the site to let you see how it's done through repetition. You see, repetition, like they say, is essential until it becomes fact. At least in our minds. And when we go into back to Malthus, Malthus was the first guy, like an economist on behalf of the British corporate system. He came up with graphs. Graphs were very, very impressive. And he According to him, uh, in about 100 years from the time that he wrote his Malthusian gloom and doom of overpopulation of the peasantry, they would have all been living on top of each other, five stacked on top of each other. But it never happened, but it was great looking on graphs. Because people can't understand graphs. That's why they keep using them. Few people will do the math, even given in a graph, to see if it's even true. Just, just the, the logic itself that they're using, if it's, if it's true. So here is from the BBC. The BBC Britain is the, the master par excellence of propaganda. Has been for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. BBC News, as they said, Wednesday 22nd of April 2000, a deeper recession ahead, says the International Monetary Fund. You're going to hear the term International Monetary Fund daily now. Because after all, it was set up the end of World War II to eventually be the distributor of all monies across the world, but also the ones who will tell every country how much to tax the people, how much to produce, how much to cut back, etc. That's what it does. And they've decided, since they created the last crash, to bring it up. You see, there was a whole purpose of the crash to bring in, in this century of change, this new era of them handling the money supply of the planet that really is social engineering because everything is economics in your life. Everything. It's all you've been given. So you control the money of the whole planet and the distribution of it and what taxes go where from one country to the next, by the way. And you own the world. And the same group, as I say, through the UN Agricultural Department, own the food of the world, and they're after the water supply of the world. Do you understand? This is war. So there's a wonderful graph that this link up to. And it says, the economy is about to decline by 1.3% in 2009. First recession since World War II, the IMF says. Back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
cutting through the matrix, going through the pablum, as the predictive programming is dished out to us from every direction, all from international quarters, mind you, to get us used to the idea of globalism, globalism, and the planned society and sustainability, and etc., etc. All the stuff that was written about hundreds of years ago that they do. We're living through a script, you see. That's all it is, one script. It's this century for change. But they never explained to the public, although they were explaining to academia what the changes would be. It is the total transformation of society across the world with purpose in society, etc., being decided by those who have the best mental prospects of finding one. And it goes on to say here that in January, the International Monetary Fund, as I say, you're going to hear this term more and more and more. You know, the United Nations, you hardly heard of them. You didn't hear much about them before Bosnia. And when Bosnia broke out, I said to people at the time, you only start to hear United Nations almost daily now, and NATO daily. And sure enough, we did. That's how, through repetition, something is built up in our minds that we don't even realize is happening. We don't think through it or reason through it or ask the whys. It's repetition. It's a, it's a technique that's used. It becomes like gravity. You think it's always been there. It's a natural thing in the natural order of things. Same with the IMF. You can start hearing them dictate more and more to you. Because that's what it was set up to do in the first place. And believe you me, the IMF has sunk more third world countries than, than battleships have fought at sea and sunk each other by its tactics. Because it's not there to help you. It's there to conquer as part of the warfare strategy. It says, <clears throat> it predicted back in January uh, that uh, the world output would increase by 0.5%. That's when they were being built up as the good guys. But now that they are the, the authorized good guys, it says, it now predicts that the UK will see its economy shrink by 4.1% in 2009 and a further 0.4% in 2010. They're wonderful with the points here, eh? The guys who can't get anything right since they keep changing their minds every three months, these experts. But other major economies are predicted to shrink even more, with Germany's declining by 5.6, Japan by 6.2, and Italy by 4.4 in 2009. The prospect for the advanced economies are not much brighter in 2010, with an overall forecast of zero growth. But here's the holy, the holy of holies, Mr. Olivier Blanchard, IMF chief economist, he says, some countries face serious balance of payment problems. No kidding. No kidding. Everybody's up in a hawk to the World Bank. They're a big brother. And then they go on to give you what could be the bright light that saves us all. Maybe, possibly. Which falls in exactly with the books that Brzezinski and Kissinger and all the rest of them were pushing out last year and discussing the major world media. Only a recovery in developing and emerging market countries will propel the world economy back into positive growth in 2010, albeit at a relatively weak level of 1.9%. So once again, these guys, and the technocrats that were, were being born, they were born long before us, they're still going yet, across the planet, Brzezinski's, Kissinger's and all that, tell us a year or two years ahead of time for this guy's now telling you now. See, it's just repetition. Which tells you there's a plan already made, obviously, since the Kissingers, the Brzezinski's are always right. 
But then you couple this with another BBC one about the US. It comes out at the same time. And it's, it's quite interesting what they say there. UK government borrowing it. It's about the, the UK actually. They're going to the US as well. UK government borrowing it $90 billion. Pounds, sorry, pounds. Because with the financial crisis pushed the UK government borrowing to record £90 billion pounds in the last financial year. They say it's more than all the governments combined in Britain for the last 300 years. That's what they're telling us. And, and then we have the one as well from uh, Schaefer, I think it is. Well, it was not Schaefer, it's another guy. It's a guy in charge of the US Federal Reserve right now who's also got an article out uh, talking about, yeah, the U.S. is partly to blame for it all, etc., etc. And another great chart he's got as well to show you the future of the U.S. system. But he also mentions too that the U.S., even though it's going down the tubes, will have to will have to throw a lot of its tax money at other countries, these emerging nations. It ties in with this other one as I just read there. This is ongoing propaganda, all working together across the world. When you see coordination like this, don't you realize there's a plan here working? When different financial institutions supposedly in different countries, plus the IMF for the whole world, all say the same things at the same time. They're all on board, as you say. Consensus management. Once again, but getting back to the foundations, do you know they actually have consensus? Consensus managing and building foundations. That's all they do. Go around and build consensus. So they're all on board with the same agenda. Full time. Hundreds of staff. Something about thousands of staff. Full time employees for each foundation. For each part of their world agenda. Parallel government. No one votes them in. Yet they have members in politics in every country in the bureaucracies in every country and have members at the heads, the CEOs, CEOs of all the international corporations and the military-industrial complex. The planned society. Planned society. And before I look into the callers, i got to read this article here to show you because I've gone into how generation by generation they give you the appropriate culture for the purpose of the generation. In my grandfather's era, and into my father's era even, the only entertainment people had at the bottom level, no TV, radio, maybe about radio, was brass bands, militarized bands that played in parks because, you see, Britain was falling away from, it was just at the end of the open, the open, forcible, aggressive type of empire rulership. Now they're into the more manipulative system and using money management, etc., and their own foundations to do the same job. So they, they raised many, many generations that were poor and who would see these smart men in military uniforms playing marching bands, uh, marching uh, songs and tunes. That was a reality. And guess where a lot of them went? There's never a shortage to become smart by dress like those guys and get a paycheck and have some respect for the first time in your life. Then after that era, 
as they, as they pretended they were bringing a world democracy, a world democracy, a, a fairer, juster system. They gave us the opposite. Peace came in, peace and love, peace and love, along with another social agenda of the total destruction of the family, which H.E. Wells had written about in the late 1800s, they do, in his book about free love. Financed by the Milner Foundation at that time. And financed too by the Astors from their big foundation that ran the Fabian Society. All planned out. And here we are living through the last part as they debase society to the very last day because in an international society, and I've read articles before from the Royal Institute for International Affairs, and from their own magazine, Foreign Affairs, saying the big problem is how do you get police and military to be loyal to their employers in an international system where the old tribal flags, etc., are gone? And where even the coherence of a society is gone? They're working on that for a long time. So they gave it a base culture and lots and lots of entertainment where the only guys who win are a brotherhood who wear black outfits military outfits and carry big weapons and have lots of backing by the legal system. Therefore, they join it. So they gave us those guys for this time in history. Mail online. The mail online. Someone saying something that really matters. And this one here is is from Lauren Booth. Wake up and smell the pepper spray. These 3,609 new laws are to control us not protect us. 19th of April, 2009. I was outside the Bank of England during the G20 protest, not far from where passerby Ian Thomason died after being assaulted by a police officer. The police presence was excessive as it was provocative. The Metropolitan's Police Territorial Support Group, the TSG, are the aggressive offspring of the disgraced Special Patrol Group of the 80s. See, everybody wants to be Special Forces today. These guys who wear the uniforms grew up playing video games where you just kill, wearing these outfits. Now they get to wear the outfits and kill. When policing events, they're issued with NATO helmets. NATO is part of the UN, you see. North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is a, has a camouflage swastika, if you look at it, very stylized. Flame retardant overalls, stab vests, gloves, balaclavas, and boots. They carry standard batons, pepper spray, and cuffs. I always try to remember the last two on riot in Britain that resulted from a political rally, which was the poll tax riots almost 20 years ago. That's when Thatcher was in. But the police are still authorized to use tasers and firearmed trained TSG officers carry pistols or submachine guns. My God, when did we accept that armored cars, special snatch squads, they come and kidnap you, and armed police were the right level of policing for the protest against government policy? How did we sleepwalk into a situation where our movements, all of our electronic data, even our DNA, is stored on a massive central database? In fact, it was easy for Blairites to con us into accepting the 3,609 new offenses they've created since 1997. They tapped into our fears and prejudices, so we simply ignored the repeal of our rights. That's true, so simple. Anti-terror legislation was not too subtly sold as being aimed at evil, dastardly, jihadi types 
not us. Presumably this legislation was intended then for people such as my friend Farouk. Farouk is as broomy as Spaghetti Junction and Tony Hancock. The only difference is that he is a Muslim. I was on the Viva Palestine convoy with him as he delivered aid directly to grieving injured homeless families in the Gaza Strip. In Britain, he's a care worker who helps to rehabilitate young offenders back into society. On his return from Palestine, Farouk was held for six hours at a UK airport. Ever since his workplace bank manager and other work contacts have received regular visits from special branch officers asking about his political beliefs and lifestyle. He told me last week they're putting untold pressure on me and it just won't stop. I've been shoved and filmed time and again by aggressive police officers attending meetings such as the Alternative Labour Party Conference in Manchester, organised in 2006 for Stop the War. But for Muslims in Britain who go on marches, raise money for Palestinian charities, or dare to express political views of any kind, the consequences are far more serious. They're monitored, put under pressure, harassed at airports, and overtly threatened. I'm not likely to suffer the horrors of extraordinary rendition, but Farouk is. But then she goes on again to talk about the fact that these laws are affecting everybody, and everyone slept through them is every right that you ever had was taken from you. And now you're in a police state. Very simple. You're in a police state. This ties in with an article here from The Guardian by Ken MacDonald, Friday the 17th of April. He says, we need to be on the same side as the police and they need to be on the same side as the law. We always thought that policing by consent was the British way. Our constables were simply citizens in uniform. Not for us the weapons, masks and boots of the Continental Riot Police and their political masters. If you wanted a difference between us and the rest, this was it. No policeman in Britain would ever go about his business, business with his face covered. It minimized the risk of violence and abuse. It was a philosophy that to this day keeps the majority of the officers from bearing firearms. It's an approach that has overwhelming public support. It's also an approach that's been sometimes been undermined in practice. In the disgraceful conduct of the Special Patrol Group in Southall 1979, with those out-of-area officers waving their 20-pound notes in mining villages in the early 1980s, even the scandalous organized perjury of the West Midlands Serious Crime Squad could not completely destroy a bond between people and law enforcement in this country. But then he goes into what it's come to now, where the cops have even had their lockers, their lockers checked. And the lockers include stashes of illegal weapons, including coshes and knives and so on. Because they're all, they all think they're special forces now. And the public are fair game. Where do they get that notion from? From their governments. That's where, that's where they get it from. And this is a society that was deliberately created in the generations that they would take these particular guys from, to recruit from. Because this is the last push for a controlled world society. And all force, any force, will be used to accomplish it. See, we're being taught now to simply jump and obey. That's the message. You obey the experts. You do what you're told. If you notice, they've used democracy for a hundred years to get what they wanted at the top. 
including the right to take over other countries that did not have those systems of governments. But now the word democracy is gradually filtering away, and you're being trained to jump and obey. The masters, that's the planned scientific dictatorship. You know, the way it ought to have been, fixing nature, as they'd say, in the high organizations. That's what it's about. And it's going to get a lot, lot worse. There's so many articles, as I say, on this, these particular topics that could go on forever, but there's no point. You get, you get the message. You get the message. You know where it's all going. Now, I'll jump to the callers now and try and get some in. And there's Kyle from Connecticut there. Are you there, Kyle? Hi, Alan. Hello. How you doing? I'm hanging on here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's continuous rain where I'm at. How Same about you? here. Same here. Spray, rain, spray, rain, yeah. Yeah, just like uh, Blade Runner. Yes, isn't it? That's why it was in that movie. I think every scene you saw it was raining all the time. So, I mean, you really can't grow anything when everything's soggy, wet, or uh, bone dry. Yeah, hang on, because that's a good topic for uh, food management and control, isn't it? <laughs> we'll talk again when we come back from this break. the Matrix, talking to Kyle from Connecticut today. Are you still there, Kyle? Yeah, I'm here, Alan. Yes. You remember last year, too, uh, June and July, every single day for those two months, it would spray in the mornings. The morning would start off nice and nice and almost normal, and then it'd spray like crazy. It'd have rain from 2 p.m. right through to 6 or 7 p.m. at night. And then again, every single day, the whole of June and July, like clockwork. And I think they're going to give us a repeat of it this year, too. Yeah, it's like they could turn it on and off uh, within the hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rain, sun, whatever. And, you know, that's their goal, to control everything. It's control. In fact, if you go over the history over the last 10, 15 years of the farming in Canada and the breadbasket of the U.S. as well, they were either getting flooded at the same time every year or they were getting nothing but droughts every year. Because it can also make clouds disperse. I've watched them do that too. You see there's a, a storm coming and then you'd hear the jets, and before you knew it, they were spraying this stuff, and the, 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 the clouds would disperse. You can do either. But if you want to control society, you do it through again through food. And weather warfare is ideal. <laughs> it's an ideal weapon. Yeah, Yeah, and they're trying to pass this um, bill where, um, you know, they'll control, you know, every food service in, in the U.S. That's right. That's right. You know. And again, it's a guy from Monsanto that, that pushed it through because they will be authorized eventually one day to be in control on behalf of the UN of the entire food supply of the planet. Yeah, I mean, so we won't even be able to eat what we want. We'll be uh, eating each other like in Soylent Green. That will no doubt come. I mean, that guy who wrote Soylent Green worked for the Future Society. He was given the story to write. And the name of the book was Make Room, Make Room. It was actually a warning against overpopulation in the future. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like their term, cradle to cradle. Yes, yes. You know, right. it's like ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Yes, and that's you how know? they 
see us all, yeah. Yeah, yeah survive on each other. And uh, I was listening to your blurb from uh, the 27th, and I encourage everybody to listen to that on your site. Uh-huh. Hamish's birthday is coming up. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. He's going to be That's 17. Right. I'll have to, have to have a do for that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've got a tent up and keep it dry. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, thanks for calling. Yeah. Thanks, Alan. Thanks. There's Matt from Chicago. Are you there, Matt? Good evening, Alan. Uh, yes. Happy Earth Day. How are you doing? Okay, how are you? Now, again, I'm shrinking with the rain. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, last week we exchanged uh, an email back and forth with regards to uh, a book you recommended in your uh, Cutting Through series, the uh, Will Durant series on yeah. uh, his story of civilization. Yeah. You mentioned how uh, the Rockefellers uh, financed funded yeah. him and they weaved in the his... Uh, mm-hmm. Social conclusions is what you said. That's right. It, Could it, you elaborate that on a little bit? What they, were, they did was put massive money out to different authors to write slants on history to guide the, per- the people to think we were evolving in a specific direction. That was the whole point of it. And at the end, um, Durant uh, was found dead in his uh, hotel room with his wife. And you can find the letters out there. I have a copy of it. Because he sent that letter to the, the Prime Minister of Britain, the president of the U.S., uh, one to um, the president of the Soviet Union, saying he was, he was terrified of what he'd done because the way he'd written it was to give people no hope for the future, to, to make them absolutely apathetic for the future. And that, that's how they found him and his wife uh, dead in the, in the hotel room. Whether they were killed, I don't know, but they did get the letters out. That's official. But thanks for calling. That's the end of the show, and here's the music. So from Hamish and myself, from a very... West Ontario, Canada. It's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you. Mm-hmm.